The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. So there is a particular soccer player that is uh, one of the greatest soccer players of all times, uh, of all time, Diego Maradona, and uh, from Argentina. And actually, if you're from Argentina, I'm just going to apologize because you're sitting there saying, did, did you say one of the greatest soccer players? And you're offended. Okay, I'm, I don't mean to offend you, okay, but uh, he's definitely one of the greatest soccer players of all time. And a, a man of, there's, you know, a little bit of a, a checkered life, but an incredible soccer player. And um, he his, one of his most famous goals called the Hand of God uh, goals. And it was against England in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And he they, they pass the ball. He goes across the center and he heads the ball over the goalie, it goes in, they end up winning the game, but immediately England is protesting the players saying, he touched the ball, he touched the ball, and the goal stood, but if you go back even today and you watch this goal, it's clear that he actually kind of used his arm to go in, and after the, uh, after the game, they asked him about the goal, and he said, well, the ball went in with the head of Maradona, and the hand of God. Now, I don't know exactly what all he meant by that, but it has become known as the hand of God goal, and he's an incredible, uh, incredible legend when it comes to soccer historically, and he is revered in Argentina, so revered that there is actually, okay, you ready for this? There is a church, a Maradonian church. That's right. The church of Maradona, they, um, they have their own religious practices. They have their own, they have their own prayers. You can be baptized into the Maradonian church. They have their own 10 commandments. I think these are, um, somewhat funny. I'm just going to read you a couple of these 10 commandments. Um, so one of them, like the, the, the third commandment is declare unconditional love for Diego and the beauty of football. Um, number, the commandment number five, spread the news of Diego's miracles throughout the universe. I think that's funny. Um, and then another one is um, number nine. has got to be my favorite. The ninth commandment of the Maradonian church, make Diego your middle name and name your first son Diego. Okay, and so there's actual followers. There's one follower of the Maradonian church, and they claim they have hundreds of thousands of followers all over the world. One of the followers they interviewed, he named, he had twin daughters. Um, he named the first one Mara, and then the second one Dona. Um, and so, yeah, he, he, there is some fanatics around Diego Maradona, and, um, and they practically worship him. Now, in fairness, this is kind of a parody religion. It's kind of um, they're, they're not totally serious, but they are fanatical about him as a soccer player and, and football or soccer in general. They're fanatical about it. But this kind of brings up the question, at what point does something become worship? Like, at what point does something become worship? And so I was talking to a friend of mine uh, about this. He's from uh, South America and a, a big soccer fan, as I am. And we were talking about how sports, there's some similarities between sports games and actual worship services. There are, there's songs that we all collectively sing together. There are individuals 
that we cheer for. I mean, we're actually praising their names. We, we, we lift them up, their, their faces, their name, their accomplishments. We remember their accomplishments and they, we cheer them, we adore them. There's almost this worship that happens and um, we, we, it, it unites us, people that we would otherwise be strangers to, we're united um, with. And, and so here's the question, like at what point does something become worship? And here's why that is such a critical question. You and I are spiritual beings. We are deeply spiritual beings. And at the core of who we are is something spiritual. And so if we don't have a good working understanding of worship, it affects every other part of our life. Not having the spiritual side of ourselves grounded affects the emotional side causes anxiety and stress and, and discouragement. That causes effects on our physical side. And so especially in this present season, I don't know anyone. I mean, we're in, in a global crisis. We're in a crisis that literally affects every single human on planet Earth right now. We're in a global crisis. And so as we're dealing with some of the emotions of this current uh, circumstance that we find ourselves in, it's so important if we can answer a worship question, if we can answer a spiritual question underneath, it can actually affect how we emotionally survive a season like this. If you have found yourself, let me put it more directly, if in this season you have found yourself struggling with fear, anxiety, stress, disappointment, discouragement, if you have found yourself suffering with any or all of those, then you need to hear what happens in this, in this story that we're going to share. I'm going to share with you. You need to hear what happens in this story because this, what happens in the story is there's a principle here that affects how you thrive and survive this current season that we're in. We're wrapping up our series called Take Courage. And it's been the story of Gideon. And it comes out of the Old Testament in the Bible from the book of Judges. This is ancient, ancient story in the book of Judges. Open to Judges chapter 8. As you're opening there, we're going to start in verse 22. But this is the final part of the story of Gideon. So let me get you caught up because now this is the crescendo. All of the pieces of the story kind of get tied in here. Okay, here's the backdrop. This story takes place in between um, Moses and Joshua. They've come out of Egypt. They've gone the wandering in the wilderness. They've gone into the promised land. Each of the tribes have settled. Okay, it's after that. This is the period of the judges. It's before the era of the kings. So Saul and David and Solomon and all the kings. It's before that. It's the period of the judges. In that season, their neighbors, the, Israel's neighbors, the Midianites and the Amalekites, who were nomadic, they would travel around. They would come by the thousands in this time period into Israel during harvest time and they would steal all of their crops and their herds. It was devastating Israel. They were barely surviving. And they had no one to lead them to fight off these enemies that were, would come and occupy their land at the most critical part of the year for their survival. So God... Uh, appears to uh, Gideon. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, this unsuspecting person, and says, Gideon, 
um, in my eyes, you are a mighty warrior, and I am going to save Israel through you. And what began is a journey of the least likely person, a farmer, a nobody, that God raises up to lead Israel and uses him to save Israel. But the entire time, Gideon is kicking and screaming. He's terrified. And he needs constant reassurance from God. So he says, God, you've got to give me a sign. And when he's standing there before the angel of the Lord, he says, stay right here. And he brings back an offering to the angel of the Lord. It's an offering. He's going to give something to God as an offering. And he brings out, the, he, he kills the, the uh, a young, a young uh, goat. It's going to be a very expensive meal. Um, and he brings this before this, uh, this angel of the Lord. And as a sign, the angel of the Lord touches this meal with his staff and it just goes up into smoke, this crazy miracle. And that gives Gideon a little more courage. So Gideon, as the story plays out, all the armies are gathering towards Gideon. They send out a call. We are going to attack these, these enemies. And it goes out and the armies are starting to come. And that's just making Gideon nervous. He's like, man, this is getting real. Like it was one thing when it was just me and God, but now there's armies here that I got to lead. And he's like, God, please give me a sign that you are going to save Israel. And so he says, God, I, 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 what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out this fleece and he, he sets out the fleece. He says, here's what I want, God. Can you make sure that if, if this is you, can you give, give me a sign? Just help my courage. In the morning, if the fleece, the wool is wet with dew, but the ground is dry, then I will trust that you are going to save us um, and you're going to use me to save Israel from our enemies. And the next morning, sure enough, God was gracious to him and the fleece was wet and the ground was dry. And then he says, okay, God, don't be mad, but I, can we just do it one more time? But we're going to do the opposite. This time, you know, can the fleece be dry and the ground be wet? And sure enough, God's so gracious, he wants to stir up Gideon's courage. He's so gracious that when he wakes up the next morning, sure enough, the ground is wet and now the fleece, the, the wool is dry. And so Gideon, I mean, he's trying to stir his courage. The armies have gathered and there's over 30,000 soldiers that have gathered from Israel. But the problem is the enemy has 135,000 soldiers. But God says this to Gideon. This is very important. He says, there are too many of Israel's soldiers. I need to reduce it down so that, watch, well, this is very important, so that Israel doesn't take credit for, the, for winning the victory. I want there to be no mistaking I won this victory for Israel. What, what's the whole point? The whole point is that Israel had, had gone and worshipped these false gods and God is calling them back to worship him. So what God does is he reduces Gideon's army from 30,000 or a little more than 30,000 down to 300. It's going to be 300 versus 135,000. Later that night, God wakes up Gideon and says, tonight's the night. Take the army. You're going to attack this huge army. But God is so gracious again with Gideon's fear. He says, but if you need some courage, go down to the enemy camp and I will encourage you. Gideon gets up, he goes down to the enemy camp, and God just so happens to arrange it that he goes to, of all the 135,000 to just the one tent where this guy has a dream from God. He tells it to his friend. His friend interprets it. Gideon happens to be there at that moment outside and overhears the friend say, I think what your dream means is that God is going to give us 
into Gideon's hands. Even the enemy now is acknowledging that God is going to win this victory through Gideon. And at that point, it says Gideon worshiped. Now, the next, uh, what happens next is absolutely unbelievable. You can go back to listen to earlier messages in the series or go back and even better read it for yourself in, in Judges chapter seven and eight. But what happens is God uses Gideon in that 300 and miraculously gives victory to Israel and they fight off, the, the, they destroy their enemy armies. Now, this is what happens next. We're gonna pick it up in Judges chapter eight, verses 22. Here's the end of Gideon's story. Check it out. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, now just watch these words really carefully, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. All right, now time out here. They, all of Israel, they've seen this incredible miracle. They come up to Gideon. They say, hey, we want to make you king. You rule over us. Actually start a dynasty. Your son can rule. Then your grandson can rule. We want to make you king. And then they said, because you, Gideon, saved us from, their, from our enemies. This is an important moment. Because all of this has been leading to one central point. God is their God. He is to be their only object of worship, not these false gods. The false gods are not going to protect them. Only God is going to protect them. They're to worship the one true living God. He's going to demonstrate that through this miraculous provision. And then the people of Israel, after this whole battle, they come to Gideon and say, Gideon, you're the one who did it. So what's Gideon going to say? Let's pick it up in verse uh, 23. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. End of quote. All right, now wait a minute. <clears throat> the men of Israel said two things. They said, become our king because you saved us from our enemies. And Gideon says, I'm not going to be your king. Okay, Gideon, I was expecting a little bit more. I mean, this is kind of the big moment. This is where all of Israel kind of gets the whole punchline of the whole episode. Like, I am not going to be your king. You're kind of, you know, what's Gideon going to say next? You're kind of expecting him to say, you know, because the whole point of this Israel is you were, were, were serving these idols, these fake gods, these not real gods. You're treating them like they're gods, and they're not. And so this is the whole point. You think I could have done that? You think I could have led 300 uh, men to defeat 135,000? No, the whole point is this is a miracle. There's one true living God that worked this. That's the whole point. The whole reason is to worship God. That's why he, you should make only God your king. But he doesn't say that. I mean, it's just kind of conspicuously absent. Well, you know, maybe, okay, I mean, let's not be too hard on him. I mean, maybe that's kind of what he means. I mean, maybe that's, he's kind of saying, he's kind of implying, no, make the Lord, I'm not going to be your king. And he's kind of implying, make the Lord your king. And he means because he saved you. Well, is that what he means? Yeah, let's look and see. I mean, what does he really mean by that? Let, let, let's see what he says next. Um, pick it up in verse 24. And Gideon said to them, Okay, good. He's not done. He's got more to say. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. 
Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered him, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. That's a little more than 40 pounds. Beside the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. All right, wait a minute. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to rule over you. But here's what I want you to do. I just have one request. If every single one of you from your spoil can give me the golden earrings that our enemies wore. So after they defeated these these enemies, they would take the spoils from the battlefield and this particular culture, they all wore golden earrings. And so they all collected these golden earrings off of the, the enemy. And he says, just give me all the earrings. And so each person was giving a little bit back to Gideon, a portion of the spoil. You're like, yeah, but these little earrings, you know, how much could it equal? Well, it was earrings from 135,000 individuals and all the, the amount of gold together was over 40 pounds of that, of gold. And so Gideon asked for that. So every person paid a tribute to Gideon. And then he wanted all of the garb and the garments and the ornamentation of the Midianite kings. He wanted the royal robes. He wanted all the ornaments they wore. He wanted uh, the special things their camels wore. So he wants all of those riches as well. So wait a minute. He's saying, no, I'm not going to be your king. But then he's kind of taking most of the, the, the biggest portion by far of the spoils, kind of like a king would. Yeah, but okay, just don't be so hard on Gideon. I mean, he's trying his best. I mean, he did take a big weight on his shoulders, right? I mean, he did. It, it, it was him who, who had to have the, the anxiety and the stress of, of trying to follow after God. I mean, he should get some credit for that, right? I mean, look, he's just, he's just asking that they give a little back to him for what he carried. Okay, well, let's give him the benefit of that. Let's just keep reading. Let's just wrap this up. Let's see what happens in verse 27. And Gideon made an ephod of it, and put it in his city in Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest forty years in the days of Gideon. Jerubal, the son of Joash, that's another name for Gideon, went on and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had seventy sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives and his concubine who was in Shechem also bore him a son and he called his name Abimelech. All right. He takes the gold from the spoils and, you know, we're, we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. Okay. You know, maybe he's inferring that God, you know, got credit for the battle, but he did kind of take the spoils. Well, what did he do? I mean, maybe you know, he made an offering to God before when, when uh, God sent the angel of the Lord to first appear to him, like maybe he's going to make another offering. No, he's going to turn it into an ephod. What is an ephod? That would be something that a high priest would wear. An ephod would be like if um, what the, the high priest of Israel would wear would be there would be robes, white linen robes, then they'd wear a blue robe on top of it, then a very ornate like vest-like 
um, on top of the blue robe, and then on top of that would be a gold breastplate, and, and the one that the high priest of Israel wore had 12 stones, precious stones in it, each one uh, signifying a different tribe of Israel. Well, now there are two people in Israel who are wearing an ephod. Gideon's making one for himself. He's made out of all those earrings, the gold, what did he do? He made an ephod for himself that he wore. Okay, he's taken the lion's share of the spoils. He's taken the garbs of the kings, and now he's made an ephod for himself. What is he doing? What is he, what is he doing? Well, he is setting up a form of worship. It's not, it's not uncommon in antiquity for kings and rulers to set up what's called like an emperor cult. That's what Pharaoh, they, would, they considered Pharaoh God. The Caesars, some of the Caesars were worshiped in temples as gods. A Nebuchadnezzar sets up a golden statue, has people bow down before it. It's not uncommon for rulers to have their subjects treat them as a god. Like, I don't know, man, you're really sure that that's what it's doing? Maybe he's just trying to worship God with it. Well, it's very explicit, and it uses a very crass term. It says, Israel hoard after the ephod that Gideon had. And that is a language often used for idolatry. They are basically committing, uh, they're cheating on God by worshiping a false God. And the word hoard doesn't mean, I know this is a little PG-13, but let me just explain to you what that term means. That doesn't, it's not meaning going and hooking up with a prostitute. It means becoming a prostitute. And so what this is saying is Israel is prostituting itself. It's being used in order to pursue this idol. Uh, there's a whole, I mean, we could spend our whole time on just that picture of what idolatry is in general, that it's we then get used and abused in order to pursue a false god. So he's setting up a, he's not using this victory to worship God. He's setting up a competing form of God. If that's not bad enough, he has a harem. He has all of these wives and he even has uh, concubines. And one of them gives birth to a son and he names the son Abimelech. That name is significant. What does the name Abimelech mean? Well, the first part, Ab, or Av, um, means like father, like Abba, like Abraham, Abraham, father of nations or of a multitude. So Ab, and then Melech. What does Melech mean? It means king. So let me see if I get this straight. Gideon... They say, become our king, Be, rule over us, Gideon. And he says, no, 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 I can't rule over you. He says, but I'll take the spoil like a king would. I'll actually take all the king's clothing. I'll actually set up a cult worshiping me and I'll have a harem like, like kings do. And then I'm gonna name my son Abimelech, which means my father is king. If that's not bad enough, when it says literally in there that he goes and he lives in his house, that word lives means sit. And so what many scholars believe is it's saying that he's going to sit down in his, in his house, meaning sit in a throne and rule. He says the right thing. He says, yeah, I'm not going to rule over you, but then he does everything that a king would. Now, can we just take a second? Man, that is... 
<laughs> that is just so classic to what people do. I mean, this is not an uncommon thing. We can say the right thing. I mean, people can say the right thing. But it can be completely different what's inside the heart. Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're all cleaned on the outside, but inside is, is, is death and uncleanness. I mean, we can say the right thing. We can project the right thing. Gideon can say whatever he wants. It's, it's what he then does that reveals the contents of his heart. So what, what happened to Gideon? I mean, he, he did not lead Israel to worship God. He led Israel to worship him. Okay, how, how did this play out? I mean, what, what happened to this guy? I mean, I, I was rooting for him. I thought Gideon was, a, was a, a good guy. I mean, there's some things that Gideon does that's good, but it doesn't end well. Uh, what happens here to Gideon? Well, I mean, just think about his journey because this applies to our journey. And I think this is going to be really helpful for us in this season that we find ourselves in. He was going through a season of fear. Like, God was calling him to walk through something that was terrifying. He didn't want to be a military general. He didn't want to go into battle. He was afraid. That fear led him to dependence. Begging God, please show me that you are the one that's going to come through. And that is, that's what's so positive about fear. I mean, going through a season of fear is so uncomfortable, but the positive is that leads us to that leads us to dependence because when you're afraid, you know that you're not in control. I mean, he knows that he can't defeat this army. So, the season that he was afraid, it led him to, to dependence on God that was so healthy. And what did he do? He would make an, he made an offering to God. It says after he heard the dream, right before he attacked um, with his 300 soldiers, when he heard the dream, it says he fell down and he worshiped. So he, he made an offering to God, a gift to God. He worshiped God. He, had, he, was, he was in fear, then he went to dependence, and then God gave him victory. God rose up. He brought relief to the oppression they were in, a relief to this difficult season that they had been in for a few years. He brought relief and victory and on the other end of that he went from fear to dependence to victory to worship but don't miss who he worshipped it wasn't God he made an offering he celebrated someone but it wasn't God it was to himself See, we, we learn what happened to Gideon. He didn't, once he got the victory, he didn't stay in the place of dependency. That, that place of worship, of surrender. He gave himself the credit. They said, Gideon, you, you, you won for us. The victory, you, you won the victory, rule over us. And he said, I won't rule over you. But he didn't correct them. And we see, like, clearly he believed that he, he took the credit for winning the victory. How, how do you know he took the credit? Because he took the spoils. He felt entitled to the spoils. He didn't offer those back to God. There's no, there's offering before the victory. There's no offering after the victory. There's worship to God before the victory. There's no worship after the victory except an offering and worship to himself. He draws Israel to worship himself. He takes the spoils 
And by taking those spoils, he turns them into an ephod. By taking the credit and taking the spoils, he's taking the worship to himself. See, here's the, the question. You know, we started with this question. What do we really mean by worship? Like, when does something become worship? It's, it's really not super complicated. Whoever gets the credit, whoever is given credit is the person who's being praised and the person who's being worshiped. Gideon gave himself the credit and drew worship to himself. So this is such an important paradigm because here's where we find ourselves right now. We find ourselves at the beginning of that journey. We're in a fearful time. And how we then progress through, we've got to, let's decide now, are we going to have Gideon's journey or are we going to come out as worshipers of the one true almighty God? Because let's just start at the beginning. We're in a season that is stressful, anxiety producing, fearful. Maybe you're like, look, I'm afraid for my health. I'm afraid for I don't I'm afraid for my health. I'm afraid for my kids' health. I'm afraid for my relatives, my, my whether it's my parents or it's my my grandparents or it's my siblings. I'm afraid for 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 health, and I, I'm I'm scared. Or maybe you said, look, my, I'm afraid for for my job. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job, or I have lost my job. I'm afraid I'm not going to get a job. Or man, I'm afraid financially. How am I going to make it through financially? Or maybe you say, look, I have a job, but I'm just afraid for the the overall uh, economy. Like, what's going to be the effect on the economy? What's going to be the long term effect on the economy? Our economy, the global economy. Like, I, I'm afraid. Or maybe you say, look, I I'm afraid on this political season. Everything's so politicized. I mean, what's going to happen at the end of this election? And you're like, I if if my candidate doesn't win or my party. Doesn't doesn't win. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I'm afraid about what these people are saying, what this side is doing, what this is happening, and these people and those people. And, and I, I'm afraid. I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. You know, or maybe you're like, look, I, I've got, I, I just heard that we're doing school virtually. And so what does that mean? I mean, how are my kids going to be educated? How are we going to juggle all this? We, we've got to go to work. We've got to educate our kids. I, you know, how, how are we going to do this? I don't want to mess this up. My, my kid, children's education is so important. There's so many things that are producing fear right now. But seasons of fear, there's something priceless in that season that we have to harness. It's priceless because when we're in a season of fear, we can move to dependency on God. Why? Because what fear teaches us is that we are not in control. And that initial realization is so terrifying, but it is so important for your long-term spiritual, emotional, and physical health. Why? Because who you view as being in control is the person that you're depending on to provide for you. Who you need to be in control, who you think is in control, is pretty much who you worship. So here's what I want you to do right now on the, on the chat or the comments. I, I, let's just all together just confess this, okay? What I want you to do right now on the comments or right there in the chat is just say, just say to everyone, I am not in control, okay? I want you to stop and do that. If you don't write it, we'll wonder if you think you're in control, okay? And, I, you know, it's a little manipulative, I, I, I know. But all of us, let us just confess the reality. We are not in control. Let's get over that hurdle because on the other side of that, Resting in dependency 
on the one who is in control? That's worship. That's rest. I'll never forget, several years ago, here in our auditorium, um, it was late in the spring, and we hosted a graduation for a, a local school. And this place that night was just slammed with people. I mean, it was just parents and students, and it was such a big moment. Everyone's ready to take pictures and video. And um, I remember I was, I was in the back, and I was greeting some, some of the, uh, the administrators. And um, they said, um, okay, yeah, we're just waiting for the, uh, the sound guy to show up. And I'm like, okay, yeah, um, me too. And I was kind of waiting around. And for some reason, one way or another, there was some kind of scheduling snafu. And I very quickly realized no sound guy was arriving, which means I was going to be the sound guy. Now, you may be like, oh, that's probably good. You probably know something about sound. No, I don't. I looked at that board, and there's a lot of little knobs and little faders on there that I have no idea what they do. There's a mute button. There's a lot of mute buttons, and there's a mute button on my remote control at home, so I, I know what that does. And I remember, like, and, and they're like, hey, is the sound guy here? And I'm like, oh, no, I, I got it. It'll be fine. And I remember sitting there as this graduation was happening, and the entire time, like, I could ruin one of the most significant moments of these children's lives. And the, the amount of the power I had in my hand that did not belong in my hands. I mean, I could ruin everything. And I remember I, by a miracle, made it through. But what would have been amazing if at any moment walking through the door, Ronnie, our IT director, he, he wasn't on staff at the time, but if our IT director had walked the door and just walked into the sound booth and said, Roby, I got it. And I mean, the immediate rest I would have felt, the relief I would have felt as to not ruin the graduation for hundreds of students and, and the celebrations for so many abuelas and abuelos and grandparents and parents that are waiting to see their, their, their child walk across the stage in celebration. That would have brought me so much rest. Why? Because I was doing something and I was in control of something I had no business being in control of and I felt the weight and the stress and the anxiety of having that control. What do you need in your life? The rest. The perpetual rest of a life of worship that there is one true living God who loves you, who's good, and who is actually in control with a plan for good of all the universe of, of your life and has a plan and he is in control. Harness a season of fear. Move to a place of dependency. But then here's the trick. But don't lose that dependency because one day this season will come to a close. Lord Jesus, we pray it soon. But he'll bring relief. He'll bring victory. And the question is, will we be like Gideon? Will we go back to thinking we're in control? That's really just self-worship. And just being yoked with that anxiety and stress. Or will we live a life of actual worship and rest for Almighty God, knowing that he is in control? Will you say, well, what can I do now to make sure that I stay in this place of dependency? I, I want to give you two things from this text to do, just two pieces of homework. Some point um, uh, this week, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I want you to, uh, to get up 30 minutes early. 
here's your homework. I want you to get up 30 minutes early and I want you to sit down with a journal and a cup of coffee. You have to do that, okay? The coffee's important. And you sit down and I want you to just list the successes of your life that you're proud of. Well, I'm retired and, you know, you, maybe you say, I'm retired and just my career, I'm grateful for it. Or, you know, hey, I just got a promotion. Or, you know, um, you know that I've reached the level that I have. Or, I've, hey, I've invested well, I've, I've accumulated wealth. Or, hey, you know what, I, I went to college. I was the first one in my family to go to college. I'm proud of that. Or, you know what, my family's turned out well. I'm grateful for that. Or, hey, I, I found a, a godly spouse to marry. Or, you know, I have good friendships. You know, I'm getting good grades. You know, I, I, I'm doing well. Like, I, I, whatever it is, I want you just to list all of the accomplishments then I want you to go back and I want you to ask yourself, who gets credit for those? Because that shows the pattern of your heart. Because it's easy to ask for God's help in times of fear. But once we get the victory, do we fall in the trap of then patting ourselves on the shoulder? And I want you to go back through every one of those and remind yourself, every good gift comes from the Father. Give him credit. Well, how do I know, like, I mean, because I can, you can say anything, right? Gideon's like, no, no, don't make me king. I'm just going to do everything that a king would. We're really good at self, I mean, we, and, and the, here's the problem. We believe what we say externally. How do we know what's going on with our heart? Here's, here's the second part of the challenge, and this is the tough part. You can say anything. You can establish anything in that moment of quiet time before the Lord. But the fruit from Gideon is who he thought was entitled to the spoils. He thought it was a product of his hard work, so he gets the spoils. You know, we talk about um, generosity and giving, and a lot of times when we talk about giving, we talk about it from, like, uh, out of a place of love. Like, we have compassion, and we want to reach our, our city, and we want people to have... Uh, have their eternities transformed. I mean, eternity hangs in the balance. So we want to give so we can reach more people in our city and beyond. And that's, that's true, but it's not just out of the fact that we're mobilized as followers of Christ. We have a mission. You and I, all of us have a mission. But it's also out of our worship, out of awe. Because we acknowledge everything we've received is from you. You are the victor. See, when I, when I give, I'm not just saying, yeah, I'll be willing to give a little bit of my money. I'll be able to give some of my, what's mine. No, we're giving back an offering of worship to God, saying you won this battle. The, the praise and the, the credit goes to you. The spoils belong to you. Look through that list. Have you seen the spoils from those successes and those victories as something that belongs to God? And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Go through your life and take inventory. Are you living a life of giving back to God in every capacity? Giving back to God as an offering back to him. Some of you need to look and say, you know, I've always viewed, you know, this is my money from my hard work. And realize, no, this was a gift from God. God won those victories. Give it back to him in worship. Hey, my, your time. You know what? Hey, look, uh, I'm retired now. This is the time is for me to use. I worked hard. I deserve this time. Give it back to God. We give everything as an offering back to him. It's part of our worship. Here's the challenge. Ultimately, what is worship? Well, whoever gets the credit, that's worship. 
Worship is surrender to him and finding rest in the surrender and staying there. Find that place of rest and stay there. Surrender to Jesus. Why would you surrender to Jesus? Because he's far better than Gideon. They asked Gideon to be their king. And he said no, but he just took the spoils. They asked Jesus, they, they called him the king of the Jews, and he actually was the king of the universe. But he took their shame. He wasn't dressed in kingly robes and priestly attire. He was stripped with a crown of thorns on his head and nailed to a cross to pay for our sins. That's who loves you. Surrender to him. He has your life safely in, your, in his hands. Find rest and stay there. Maybe you want to take that step today and surrender to Jesus. Maybe you've been following Jesus' principles, but it's more than that. It's not just acting Christianly or doing Christian activities. It's a surrender to Jesus as your king. Living a life of worship. Surrender to him today. If you want to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you just right there, wherever you're at, just lift this prayer to him. Just say in your heart, Jesus, I surrender to you. I make you my king. Thank you for what you've done to save me. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you took away my shame. I believe you rose again from the dead because you were God in the flesh. And I believe I will live forever in heaven because of what you did. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, what I want you to do is right there um, in the chat or the comments, you will see a website. Um, it says cityrev.org faith. There's also just a, a bar on the screen you can click. I want you to, if that was your prayer and you put your faith in Jesus, I want you to go there, click on that link. And there's a short place you can fill out some information. We want to just send you a Bible because you're not alone on this journey. We want to follow up with you and want to walk along on this journey with you. Now, church, we're going to continue in a time of worship. We are going to praise the one who is due all of the praise and worship. And so we're going to sing. We're going to offer this, these songs to him. So wherever you're at, maybe you just want to take a quiet moment, just bow your heads and hear these words. Maybe you want to stand and join and sing. But let's give worship to Jesus, who's due, our King, who's due all of our worship. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.